0: Welcome to CMIO Podcast, a show devoted to educating and informing those who are making healthcare easier for others. Whether you're involved with informatics, analytics, or new technologies that make the lives of our practicing clinicians better, this show is for you. My name is Dr. Mark Weissman. I'm a practicing physician, a CMIO, and the host of CMIO Podcast. And today I'm bringing you Dr. Gabe Chabineau, who is a family practice physician with Providence and has just a wealth of knowledge around doctors performing better with their patients in terms of using the EMR, establishing that bond and connection. He's got some really great insights around this speech to text type of artificial intelligence. So Gabe, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much, Mark. It's really great to hear your voice again. Mark and I have actually known each other for a couple of years because we worked on a project before about just that, about how to humanize technology, which really is well said. That is my passion
0: tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Like you said, I'm a family practice doctor. I live in rural Montana, and I've been here for about nine years. My wife and I moved here after I went through a fairly significant burnout after my first job out of residency, and which led me to think a lot about the ways that our tools help and hinder us in what we do. And I've just always been interested in the intersection of how technology and medicine work together. As Mark knows, I actually started a macro company back in about 2012 with the idea of if you could turn multiple steps in the EHR into one step that that made things a lot better and a lot easier and totally failed to grow that company and I started getting interested after that in artificial intelligence. It seemed like that was a a trend that was quite interesting for how computers could do more work for people. So I started with an AI company called Tenor as an advisor. That company also failed. So not a great track record of financial success or commercial success, but still very interested in these things. And which actually led me on a tangent to create what turned into a little bit of a small social movement about fighting doctor burnout. I made a t-shirt I send to people that I think are making a difference and which then actually led me back around to AI. That's how I came in contact with what we're going to talk about today, which is a company called Seikera, and they reached out to me when I started outspoken about burnout and wanted to have some conversations. And then we pretty quickly realized we had a lot of mutual interest. And so long story short, we actually started a pilot in November, both in my clinic and several other clinics here in Montana working on that project. So that's me talking fast, giving the really high level of my background.
0: That is just what we were looking for, to understand a little bit about who you are. And we will not hold it against you that startups are uh, very (laughs) difficult to get launched. Completely understand that. And that, hey, good for you for trying. I'll tell you that. That takes a (laughs) lot of courage and guts. So good for you. Let's talk a little bit about some of your interest here in that speech to text technology so you've been following this field for a long time how long though and what was your first experience with it was it the technology where you pause after (laughs) every word because that drove me nuts that technology
1: yep Yeah. So speech to text was really just starting to go mainstream when I was in residency. And it was, as I remember, pretty expensive. In fact, the only person who had access was one of our faculty who was so slow at his typing that the residency bought him speech to text software because he just couldn't function without it, but no one else had it. And then in my first job out of residency, we actually did have it more accessibly, but it was not highly accurate and you did have to do a lot of checking what was coming out but it always seemed like this thing that had potential because that you can talk faster than you can type and and so that always had appealed to me and actually i did tinker with some macros early on where you could do simple text expansions instead of saying the same thing over and over again a keyword that would then expand into something more i had a taste of it then but really when things took off for me was when we moved here to montana And there was a big epic go live for us in 2012, and that really stressed everyone out. And again, what do I know in terms of tools? What's out there? What's available? And we did have access to a, a much better functioning version of Dragon at that time. And I had a colleague who the two of us were actually quite interested in challenging each other to build the coolest tools that we could to make things easier. And there was this pivotal moment where we had just started kind of going down that road, and we made this entire encounter for doing a cortisone injection for a for a knee injection for someone in one voice command and it was sort of a let's see how far we can push this so it put in the charges for the cortisone it put in a diagnosis of knee pain it pulled in a a note template it dropped billing charges and the only thing you really had to do was pick whether it was on the left or the right side as long as nothing else changed and it was is this sort of like proof of concept light bulb for us that really got us excited and then that sort of took off where other people started hearing about it. Another story that comes to mind of, of, of something that was pretty exciting was one of our faculty from residency. We actually traveled back to Spokane to work with some of the folks that I had trained with, and he did a lot of advanced hormone workups and had this page of things he would order to test hormones that was 12 or 13 different things. And so before Epic, it was a piece of paper with his signature. It was very easy. And his stress level went through the roof when he started thinking about how am I going to point and click my way through this. And that was one of our earliest biggest successes was turning those 12 things into a one step voice command with dragon and just realizing that that potential was out there. That then led to a bunch of traveling and consulting. That then led to me getting tired of traveling and consulting really quickly, which is how I ended up doing the software company because we kept asking, got it. there's something here. People really know what they want to do in the computer, but it's way too cumbersome. Maybe we can build a, a software platform that will help with that. And that's what we attempted to build.
0: You just reminded me of something. I remember seeing a post from you somewhere about a tool you built that helped dragon, understand where your cursor was on the screen. Well, tell us about that tool. That was Is that a commercial product or is that just something you were tinkering with?
1: That was something that we were tinkering with, but we tinkered with a lot of stuff. Essentially, part of the challenge is that at the time we were building, there was no real API to interact with the EHR. So everything that you did had to be these sort of add-on things, which not only was it working with desktop software, but it was working with uh, virtualized Citrix software. So your ability to capture what was happening was protected from this other layer of challenge. So really the only way to see what was happening is to do sort of pixel recognition on the screen. And I did absolutely play with that. What I learned for myself was that it was a really interesting concept, but it was actually quite slow. And the workflows that I tended to automate, I was much happier just sort of blindly sending commands in a sequence to the EHR and then watching it to make sure that it went right, versus waiting for something to appear and the computer to scan for that and recognize what it was and then execute a command and then go to the next step. I think it was very interesting, but it just from a practical standpoint, that never really took off for us.
0: So when I use Dragon now, it's more than just picking up the microphone and speaking into it. You are giving it some commands to do, okay, order a and It'll go off, order a moxicillin, tee it up for me. Mm-hmm. Order the rapid strap test and put something in my note. It could do all those different types of steps. These are the step-by-step commands. But that the, there's a latency. There's a lag between yeah. when I tell it to jump screens to go over here and go over there, that... I think maybe because we're using more cloud-based software that we have to build in these little bit of lags, which is mm-hmm. a little bit uncomfortable at times. Was it better in the old days when we were just on the desktop?
1: Yeah, I, there's a couple factors that go into that. So, one is that Cloud Dragon was a major boost in accuracy, but they also threw out some of the things that were interesting. So, advanced scripting actually, at least on the version that I have, went away, which was always faster responsive time from s- sending information to the EHR. And I actually only use Dragon for voice now. And actually, it's part of our conversation we're going to talk about that I am totally on sekera for my major parts of note generation right now but but i have stopped using dragon for commands and purely use the software that we built or some version of a of a software tool called auto hotkey one of the most fun things that i built over the last year was actually i bought a i bought this really cool gaming mouse that had 12 buttons on it i was at best buy one day and saw it and thought that would be fun to play with because i bet there are i can think of things to map all those buttons to for some of my most common workflows and I'm just going to do that and that's actually for macros that's now what I use probably 80% of the time and then 20% of the time I probably use our software tool that we built and I just totally use dragon for speech or at this point I use say for speech
0: Interesting. So you don't have to be honest with this answer here, but you Uh-oh. have your login ID program to one of those buttons on the mouse, because I know
1: that's everybody your does IT that.
0: administrators. Mm-hmm. Yes, of course. Right,
1: right, Uh-oh. right, right, right. Everyone does that. And I'm not going to implicate myself one way or the other on that. <laughs> However, I plead the fifth, so we actually got badges for sign on recently. So that's, that's helped, but I feel like that is such a ridiculous thing that it's so much of a pain to type in your username and password that people are willing to do these workarounds that sacrifice security on something that's fairly important and that should tell you, Hey, that's a pretty important problem to solve in the right way. <laughs> that's what I have to say about that.
0: Yeah, I think people will find workarounds when you make barriers for them that's just right. part of what we do but let's talk a little bit about say cara because this was not something i was familiar with and then i saw this article about it and i went and looked on the their web page and then i saw you on there I'm like wait a second if gabe's <laughs> using it this thing could be real so mm-hmm. let me just reach out to gabe and see what this is all about and it turns out it it is for real, it sounds like. So what are your thoughts about this? How's the pilot going? What are you experiencing as an end user of this tool? And you probably should explain a little
1: bit about what it is. Yep, yep, happy to. So I think everyone's sort of dying to know this practically. What is AI capable of in the exam room right now? And so the the first thing that I have to share is that it absolutely works. I can tell you some of the things that I have found to be advantages over Dragon. And in all honesty the the technology is still maturing. And in some ways it still is early. It's better enough for my experience that on a day that I have to go back and use Dragon, which hasn't been many, but there were a couple occasions where I had to do that, it was painful, which is usually a good litmus test for whether something's useful to you or not, or whether you just think it is. First, maybe I should just describe a little bit about how Sekera, what its current state is like and how it's different from the Dragon experience. But at this point, it's based off of a mobile platform. So it's an iOS application. And essentially, you select your patient from your list, which is populated for your schedule for that day. And when you go into the exam room, you introduce yourself to your patient and make sure that they're comfortable with you using the AI assistant, which is going to basically capture the entire conversation so that it can do things with it. And then you put it into listening mode. And in listening mode, it's basically like having an Alexa-type device that many of us have in our houses where you can say verbal commands to cue it to do things. And, but it's always capturing the audio from this conversation in its current state that I'm using. And there's actually a more advanced version that I have that's coming and some people are on, which is full ambient mode. But the version that I'm using will listen to the whole conversation, but I will use a command such as, okay, Kara to trigger active listening. And then I will basically just talk in natural speech to summarize the patient's story or to say, hey, pull in my template for physical exam, but change this one or two things. I know you've done dragon in the exam room. I tried it. That was very hard for me. I think I had some issues about. I just could never quite get over the having to speak punctuation in front of a patient. For my own, I, I probably could have tried harder, but I, I also didn't have to because this came along about when I was trying to do that. And what I found is that I don't have to be nearly as precise as I do with Dragon. And you can talk like a normal human being when you're speaking the things that you ordinarily would want to go in your note with Dragon. You have to be absolutely precise and you have to proofread everything to make sure that weird wonky words don't come out that are on the screen. That's the version I'm on. What really excites me is that it's all of us that are using it are actively building this model to help the AI get better and better. And so even as we speak, what I have in terms of a user interface now is helping to build something that can can create even better machine generated output that's either structured data or natural language put out into text into a note. And so we're not quite there yet to the dream of completely autonomous self-writing notes. There's a human editor in the loop with Sekera who does quality control and makes sure that everything comes out. And essentially the quality of my notes are better than when I was proofreading them doing Dragon with much less mental gymnastics on my part to get through the process of creating a note. Any relationships to disclose... Actually, I do chat with them periodically because I love to give feedback and I really am passionate about these things and and I don't have any financial relationship with them.
0: And neither do I audience by the way. So that this is just, I like talking about the technology. I found this one interesting. And so normally we don't mention vendors names, but this one seemed different. And one of the things that I liked about it, Gabe, is that, yeah, there's that human in the loop there, but to be honest, I don't care if the AI is doing it or if the humans doing it. I just want the end result. To be honest, mm-hmm. it's right. all the company for them to get the AI better. Right. I don't have to have pain while right. they're going through their That's learning right. curve as a company.
1: That's right. That's <laughs> and so right. I like that. Yep. Yep. That's Uh exactly how I feel. What you care about is that you get to behave more like a human being and have more natural interaction with the other human being in the room, which is your patient. And however the magic happens on the back end is as long as it's not insanely expensive or takes forever, like we really don't care. Absolutely. So
0: years ago, we did this piece for Practicing Excellence where we were talking about how to make the provider's experience better, easier when they're interacting with the computer. Where are we at today? Take it from the standpoint of those who are using artificial intelligence and those who are not, those Mm -hmm. who it's not quite, it's not nearly widespread yet. So how's the industry doing? Where are we at?
1: Right, this is actually, it's an interesting full circle to come back and have that conversation because I remember Being excited that I thought that we would be further along than we are. I really felt like we were going to overcome some technical hurdles and some other hurdles in healthcare, that we'd be in a place where the EHR was much less of a burden than it is today. In my side project, um, working with people about fighting burnout, what I have encountered has actually been the complete opposite that I'm hearing more and more about the the pain and and sort of the lost autonomy. That's one more thing added to the list of what the doctor is supposed to do. That's a digital task rather than we're actually successfully offloading work in in the EHR directly. From my perspective, some of the challenges have actually become worse, which is part of why I um, am so excited about AI, because I think it's one of the few things that actually functionally reduces workload in the exam room. There just haven't been a lot of other things that have been exciting to come along to do that. A human scribe can do it. And so I think that's a totally other interesting, potentially viable option for the right person, but it's also less scalable and for, we could get into the reasons why I think that, but, but basically that's a long winded way of me saying that I was hopeful that. Tech would, would we'd be using the EHR like we use our iPhones in 2020, but it's turned out that it's just as clunky and in some ways maybe more clunky than it used to be.
0: So this patience over paperwork initiative, the government's <laughs> kicking off here. What, what are you talking about? Why is it not better yet?
1: What do you, <laughs> can the government so, <laughs> regulate its way out of this? Right. Can we regulate? That's a really great question. Uh, have we ever regulated our way out of anything like this? No, I, no. I, I, I'm a skeptic on that one. And I'm not exactly sure what the answer is other than I think we need to amplify the human to human connection in the exam room as much as possible and really figure out how we put value on that and realize that our paradigm of, well, we really like that data. It seems like that should be connected to something good. It seems like that should be connected to better outcomes when it seems like that's a failed experiment at this point, but we're still going down that road. Yeah,
0: and I think the only regulatory thing that's really going to have an impact on burnout is going to be the change from fee-for-service to a different model. I think that pressure to see a patient every 10, 15 minutes is partly what drives that burnout, where the patients become less interesting the more complicated they are and the, the more documentation burden that goes along with this. What do you think about the documentation changes that are happening in ambulatory that start in January, where it's no longer about how many elements of an HPI and review a system that did you get It's what's the medical decision making? I I think that's a good step in the right direction. But is it enough? And will doctors make the change or will they keep their 12,000 character (laughs) note-bloated beasts?
1: (laughs) Probably. Well, you know how it is. Some of us will adopt it quickly and then there will be sort of this bell curve of adoption if if the rules stay that way. I guess I want to start that question with my philosophy, which is that I think that the note should be for communication above all else. And so if you start saying that, this is the way we justify billing now. Once again, it's not about communication. It's about another way we have to justify billing. I haven't lived in that world yet, so I can't exactly say, but it's going to take time. And just like we are now, people are going to be like, well, did I say enough to justify that decision to get to the level that's going to pay for this bill? Rather than thinking about the most important thing, which is, what's the right thing to do for my patient, what are the really essential things that need to be in here so that if someone comes after me, whether it be me or one of my colleagues, knows what's going on and really understands the most important things. That should be the thought that we have when we create a note. That's my core belief. And so anything that steers away from that, I feel like it's off track from the beginning. Yeah, that makes sense
0: being a primary care doctor i i know how to play this game we've all learned the game really well so you're coming in to see me for an upper respiratory infection but you got diabetes and high blood pressure i know if i put some of that in my note i can get this to a higher level of a mm-hmm. 9921 whatever yep just by incorporating now dude i really yeah need to talk about your stable hypertension while yep. we were doing this of course it's medically necessary no <laughs> it, it's a billing game but yep. uh, we all get how it's played but I that, think that's so that part of the that's part
1: of an ethical dilemma too I believe. We all know that costs are out of control in medicine and we are incentivized to do stuff just like you said which kind of goes back to that argument about fee for service really being on the chopping block I think for an effective model for medicine and healthcare. So very well said.
0: Let's switch gears for a minute. I'm interested in talking about, you're an Epic shop. You understand what Epic is out there doing and they've got this Hey Epic tool that's coming. I've seen it demoed at their UGM presentations and it can do things like, okay, uh, Hey Epic, show me my last note. And then my last note would come up on the screen. But I'm wondering, are they targeting the right things? Because I'm not having trouble really navigating the chart. Maybe some people do, but to be honest, I'm having trouble aggregating data from multiple sources that do not interact with each other, finding the colonoscopy in one database, their CT scan from a different system somewhere else, pulling it all together to give me a bird's eye view of what's going on with the patient. Now, Google, it looked like, was doing something like that when they got all in the press about their stuff, that was I guess people were shocked and horrified
1: at. It. I thought it was awesome. But what about <laughs> yeah, what yeah. about
0: what Epic is doing here? Are they tone deaf? Do they hear us? Do they know where yeah. our
1: problems are? What do you think? No, no. This is another great. This is another great question. And a, and actually, I'm like you. I got totally excited about about the Google thing, and I can understand people's concerns as well. But it was just the principle of what technology should be able to do. And if you really were behaving the right way in terms of how you should respect whose data it was and so on and so forth. They really seemed like they were doing something interesting there. The Hey Epic, so first of all, I'm, I can talk only superficially about it because I've probably seen it less than you have, although I, I am a little bit familiar with it. I think to me it's kind of gimmicky. What I like is anyone who's trying things to see what's going to work. So I'm going to be a little bit generous with my feedback, but I've never been in the exam room thinking what would be the most efficient use of my time is for me to pause and say, hey, Epic, show me my last note. I could have clicked by the time that that happened. And right, if it doesn't actually make Mm -hmm. to actually stop my natural conversation to say, now I'm going to talk to the computer. That just doesn't quite feel like what I'm looking for. However, you know, it'll be interesting to see how others who are using it have feedback about that. So at one point in time, this is some of my journey. I actually emailed the president of Epic when they were going to sunset order entry. And I I wrote this complaint about how I thought that was a terrific efficiency tool. You had all these things you could do on one screen. And I made all these arguments about why they should keep it. I thought it would totally fall on deaf ears, but I just sort of had to say something. And they actually put me in touch with the head of their uh, research and development team. And I've talked to them probably half a dozen times over the last year and so that's been really really interesting sort of what perspective I've taken out of that and what it seems their perspective is through our conversations. First of all, I think that the the engineers working on the problem are very well intended. And I I don't want to, you know, have all the doctors who are listening to this like stop the podcast now because (laughs) I said something nice about the EHR vendor. But really truly they genuinely seem like they're trying to do what any responsible person would do in charge of your product development. Here's the rules of, of what you need to do. Here's what you have to work with. Okay, ready, go. And it seems like they are at least the folks that I've talked to trying their best. What bothers me about it is that this is an issue that continues to come up is that just doctors are not the real end customer. And so this ties back into one of the things I like about Sekera they're under pressure from me, we're in this pilot, if they don't make me happy, I can opt out of the pilot and fire them, <laughs> right? You can't Correct. fire Epic, right? So it. So if Correct. something doesn't work in Kara, they get one of my notes wrong, or something about the experience isn't working well, I email them or call them or actually one of the easiest things to do is talk right into the app and say, hey, I'm having a problem with this, can you guys fix it? And they're very, very responsive, because they are motivated to keep your business where the big EHR Have no loyalty to you as an end user. They're loyal to the employer who makes the buying decision. And the way that they get feedback from docs is that it's complaints are sort of funneled through our IT department, and this list probably goes up the chain. And if enough people complain about it, it goes over to Epic, and then they think about how they're gonna incorporate that in the next build. And by the time that they push that build out, there's also some changes that make everyone angry. And so they might make some improvements, but that's mixed with some stuff that isn't quite right. And the feedback cycle is just so slow and indirect, and the nuance of how each physician practices with their workflow is just almost completely ignored. So they have a lot of this aggregate data, which is very useful, but really, how do you understand me? They've totally missed the boat.
0: I agree. The EHR vendors are not tone deaf. They're trying, but... I don't think Epic is trying to move into the speech-to-text world. I think they're partnering, right. with, I think they're partnering with, Nuance. with Nuance, if I recall. Yeah. Yep. yeah. And so th- that's their strategy is for Nuance to be the expert on this. But I do like the fact that they are moving towards the ability to use your voice to... You start to get at interesting yeah. things in the EHR.
1: Yeah. I, I want to add one thing there, Mark, actually, I just mm-hmm. thought of, which is that I, I had told them early on that I was going to be piloting Seikera and they were very interested. And so I actually made an in- introduction from the Sekara team to the R&D team at Epic. And they were, it was actually, they were both sides excited about that and they've still been having ongoing conversations. So this whole sort of ethos of Epic doesn't talk to anybody or work with anybody isn't exactly true either. It's maybe slow and I'd like to see more of it, but they are starting. There's going to be
0: a culture change that happens, though, for the providers when this becomes more mainstream, where there's a single monitor, perhaps mounted on the wall, a big, let's say, 40 inch thing, and the patient can see it and you can see it and you're talking and the notes
1: being generated and you're collaborating around that, is that where you see the future going? Totally. I mean, totally. And I, I guess that's where I see it going, because that seems like with today's technology, the most obvious kind of better than what we've got idea, maybe that some other display type of things are who knows about VR or AR or any of those things. Maybe we'll actually not be looking at it on the wall at all. Maybe it will be in our glasses and projected somewhere. I don't know. But the point being like what you said, that it'll be this shared, not cluttered taking your conversation and pulling insights out of that. And then as you're talking about things, rather than saying, hey, Epic, it just sort of naturally is showing you things that you might be interested in, including trends or access to like the exact information that it predicted that you probably wanted that would really help you make a decision. And uh, yeah, I think that is where the future is going, whether it's a big screen TV or some other kind of model, I don't know that, but I certainly think that's something that I'd be excited to see.
0: I agree. I think it'll be very uncomfortable for some people. They still feel that that chart is all theirs. Though we've all now, by force, are releasing our notes to the patients in real <laughs> right. time. Right. Um that's the 21st Century Cures Act. So it's not so secret anymore. And I think that as that happens, we will start to see a change in behavior in the exam room as well. Because right now, yeah. the way our exam rooms are set up is it's kind of a secret what's behind the screen. And it's the wizard behind the curtain. You really can't tell mm-hmm. what's going on there, but yeah. you, the patients trust that we have their best interests in mind, of course. And But when they can see their own data, I think we can make a more interesting visit out of it. And I've always tried to incorporate the patients into our EHR conversations of, hey, this is your last lab test. Do you see this? And what are your yeah. thoughts and, and engaging them? It's the one Beeson, of the things that you and I have talked about.
1: Absolutely. And Steve Beeson at Practicing Excellence put out a really nice uh, video about that, about it, putting the computer in the center of the conversation between you and the patient rather than it's this thing in between you and, and the patient and only you can see the screen. And I, I have really tried to incorporate that. Now, in my rooms, it's usually that they're sitting a little bit too far away to easily read it from where they are, but I at least make it clear that I'm not hiding anything. And and sometimes I'll pull them in to look at something that I think is interesting or read and point directly at the screen about what I'm reading because I just think that that, that trust building of this is, I have nothing to hide. I really want this to be a tool that helps me deliver better care for you. And that's felt like a good thing to do.
0: So you have the problem of having exam rooms that are far too large. That sounds like a Montana-type problem (laughs) because that's not an issue that I'm routinely seeing in urban populations. So I'm just curious, and as we're on this topic the social distancing that occurs in Montana, does that mean that you stay six feet away from the elk and the moose or is there some other, is there, are there actually people near you? What yeah. How close is your nearest yeah, yeah, neighbor, yeah. Gabe? So,
1: so, so, well, I live in a, I live in a neighborhood that is sort of normal sized. I don't live on a ranch or anything, but if you look at the COVID map, I feel very blessed to live here right now. We just, we don't have very many cases. We are naturally quite social distanced and like you said, it's pretty easy easy to keep your space between other people. (laughs) So there's for sure some advantages. Awesome.
0: Gabe, this has been a great conversation. If people want to reach out to you, what's the best way to get in contact if they want to learn more about the pilots you're doing, the inventions you've had, the companies you've started, or just to connect with you over these topics of Provider wellness and burnout, what's the best way to do that?
1: Yeah, uh, there's a few easy ways. I'm pretty active on Twitter. So my Twitter handle is at Gabriel Dane, like a great Dane. And so that's an easy way to reach me. You can also reach me easily through fightburnout.org. And if you're interested in Say just go straight to their website, which I believe is saykara.com. And if you talk to them and end up wanting to get my perspective, I'm sure that they would put us in touch.
0: Fantastic. Well, again, thank you for your time, Gabe. That's our show for today. Thank you for listening to CMIO Podcast. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn, send me your ideas for shows, guests you'd like to hear from, or just to connect. And I look forward to bringing you our next episode.